And those who remain, if you'll find in your Bible or in your phone or whatever you have, or the Pew Bible, if you didn't bring either of those, Acts chapter 2. Only two more sermons in this Being the Church sermon series, today and next Sunday. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42, and as you're finding that, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the big idea for today, and that is that the church provokes response. The church provokes response from the people. By church, I mean those who are following trusting in Jesus Christ by the people. I mean, everybody else. Okay. Let's get those two groups in your mind, because that's what we're going to be talking about for the whole sermon. The church provokes response from the people. I want you to be looking for the response of the people, those outside of the church, as we read Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. Now this morning, if you are able, I'll ask you to stand as an expression of honor as we read God's word together. You may have this memorized by now. We've read it so many times. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We're going to focus well, we're not actually going to focus on, but we're going to springboard from this one phrase in verse 47 that says, and having favor with all the people. Do you see that in your Bibles? While the church was being the church devoted to the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, all the while they were having favor with all the people. All those outside of the church were favorable, were kind, were thought kindly, of the church during all this. Now, I would love to get up here and preach this sermon to you and say, if we're being the church, everybody's gonna love us. If we do this, if we really grow into being the church, we're gonna have favor with all the people. People are just gonna applaud when we walk by. It's gonna be great. Roses on the doorsteps every Sunday morning. I wish that I could preach that sermon. That would be nice. But that is not at all the case. So we're going to have to springboard out of this passage a bit to get a full picture of the people's response to the church. You see a number of ways that the people respond to the church in the books of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's just one book. First, in Acts chapter 2 and 5, you see that they respond with fascination and even fear at the power The people standing outside the church looking in, in Acts, saw power. And they were fascinated by it. Remember in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit first comes down, and they're all in the upper room, and all of a sudden it looks like there's flames of fire on everybody's head. 
because the, the windows and doors have burst open and wind is, is flying in and they run out into the streets and they start to proclaim the gospel in tongues, which isn't nonsense language. It was the language of all the people. The people in Jerusalem at that time had come from all over the place. So there were many different languages and the disciples were able to communicate with all these people in languages that they didn't know. So look at how the people responded in Acts chapter two. Uh, Look at verse six. And at the sound of the multitude, uh, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And on down in verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? They saw the power of what the Holy Spirit was doing in the first church and they noticed it and they were fascinated by it. They all gathered around. Now, this isn't to say that they were all favorable toward it yet. In fact, in verse 13, we see others were mocking them saying they're filled with new wine. They're just drunk. But at any rate, they noticed. The church was definitely noticeable. For one reason, because of the supernatural power that was exhibited in the people. We see the power exhibited again in a different way in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is a really startling passage of scripture. This is the, the passage when two people in the church... They get caught up in the excitement and everybody is selling their possessions and their lands and they're giving the money to the disciples to be distributed to the church, to anyone who had need. And these two, this couple, they sell their land and they only give half of the proceeds, but they say they gave all the proceeds. And because they lied, God strikes them dead, just kills them. Listen to the people's response to this. Well, it says in verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So the church itself realized that they were dealing with power beyond anything they could understand or control. And all who heard about it outside of the church, they were afraid. Suddenly it goes from just a spectacle to, wait a minute, this, this is real. This, this God is real and powerful The stakes are high. This isn't just about comfort and needs being met. It's about life and death. The power is so real that people are dying. And so it says in Acts 5, verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. So this is the least seeker-friendly church you can imagine at this point. People outside of the church are terrified to go and be a part of what's going on. Because... Maybe they'll die. Who knows? But they definitely notice the church. They definitely recognize the power, whether they respond with fascination or fear. Another way that you see the people, the public respond to the church is what we just read about with favor. In Acts two forty seven, the people were praising God. I mean, the church rather was praising God and the church was having favor with all the people. What were they favorable to? Think about what we have studied over the past, however long we've been in this passage, month, two months. What were the people responding to with such favor? Think about what the people outside of the church would have been observing. 
They would have seen 3,000 people suddenly come to Christ and start to change their behaviors and start to devote themselves to the fourfold devotion, the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So they would have seen just thousands of people suddenly start giving all their time and energy to hearing more and more and more about what Jesus taught from the disciples and then maybe passed along by other teachers and trying to live by it. They would have seen their lives beginning to change as the teaching started to change them. They would have seen them spending a lot of time together. They would have seen a dramatic restructuring of their priorities so that they could be together a lot with these other believers, eating a lot of their meals daily together. It was noticeable. They would have seen that these people were a praying people. Along with the devotion to fellowship, they would have seen the way that they started to handle their property and possessions became dramatically different from the way folks outside of the church handled their property and possessions. They would have seen the church begin to liquidate all their their holdings, their land and their stuff so that they could meet the needs of the poorer Christians. They would have seen within the church the walls between the classes dissolve as rich Christians, poor Christians mingled together in deep relationships, eating meals together, spending time together, giving their things to each other. And they would have looked on at all this and they, they said, that's good. Can you imagine anybody being against all that? Can you imagine any, you know, the villagers storming Doolin's Grove with pitchforks saying, we heard you guys are sharing your stuff and we don't like it. We heard you guys are spending a lot of time together and really having a good time and enjoying it. Stop. We hear you guys are praising God a lot and you're really joyful and simple hearted. Your life's not all that complicated. It seems to be simple and sincere. We don't care for this. We're going to persecute you. No, the people saw all this going on and it seemed good. I read one woman, her last name is Finger. She's a scholar and she wrote a book totally focused on just the sharing of meals in the book of Acts. And she described what it would have been like because these meals, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, were joyful. Their time together was joyful, they, wild joy. And something I hadn't thought about was how close everybody lived together. You know, the streets were narrow. The, the, the living quarters were smushed right up against each other. So you would have heard these meals. You would have heard the joy. You would have heard the praise. You would have heard the singing. You would have seen the people coming and going with, with bright faces. And in the miserable conditions of living in ancient you know, the Mediterranean world, it would have looked really inviting. It would have looked really good. Have you ever lived in an apartment building and you hear your neighbors you know, bumping up against the wall and you hear everything that goes on? We, we lived in an apartment in Raleigh and the neighbors above us had dogs and vacuumed all the time. And the dogs would go crazy when they vacuumed. And we joked because it sounded like the dogs were riding vacuums and they were racing each other and yelling at each other. Because you'd hear them just going around and around and around. You hear everything. The church was very noticeable. And people responded to it. But it doesn't stop there. 
Okay, and here's where we get into the nitty-gritty of what I want to talk to you about this morning. So you see the people respond to the church with fascination or maybe even fear and favor. But really, for the whole rest of the book of Acts, people divide into two types of response. They either respond with faith or absolute rejection. It, It doesn't stay in this happy zone of favor for long. Eventually, the people realize that at the core of this happy fellowship of believers is a man named Jesus Christ who claimed to be the one way, the one truth, the one life. And at that point, they had to make a decision. Do they believe that or do they not believe it? Those who believed it responded with faith and joined the church. Those who did not believe it, as you'll see if you read through the book of Acts, which you should do sometime, they grow increasingly hostile toward the church, violently hostile toward the church. Let me show you a a few examples. In Acts chapter 5, you start to see those in power begin to oppress the church, specifically those, the Jewish powerful. They begin to feel threatened. They they don't agree with this. They do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. They begin to oppress the church. I'll read you a few verses of that. Acts chapter 5, start at verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. This is the disciples. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked. Wait a minute, I'm reading you the wrong passage. Here we go. I should have started verse 17. Back up. We'll edit that out of the uh, audio. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy... They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. That's what I meant to read to you. It's not long before Christians are getting arrested. In Acts chapter 6, let me scout out to make sure I wrote the correct passage on this one. Yes, in verse 8, you see people who believe different ideologies who are teaching other things begin to rise up against the church. Look at it starting in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6. And Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. There's that power again. Draws a crowd. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. There's a contingency of people that begin to hate, hate, hate the church because the church 
represents Jesus Christ. And then in Acts 7, you see the first martyr, the first Christian man killed is Stephen. Eventually, they begin to hate it so much that they will actually kill people who are part of the church. And then in Acts 8, verse 1, we read, There arose on that day after they killed Stephen a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So it's only a few chapters away from where they enjoyed all this favor that the persecution gets so hot that they have to flee and they have to scatter across the world. Now, all along the way, while they're being increasingly persecuted by those in power and those teaching other ideologies, there are those who are believing. And it's as though as the church continues to be the church and grow as the church, a wedge gets driven further and deeper and deeper into the people, those outside of the church. And on one side of the wedge, you have those who believe and they join into the church. And on the other side of the wedge, you have those who do not believe, those who reject it. And they grow more and more and more hostile. No favor on this side anymore. Hatred. They want to squash it. They want to kill it. They want to shut it up. So I wish I could preach a sermon to you that says, if we will grow in being the church, we're going to have happy good times with all the people. You know, I've heard uh, pastors say, you know, I listen to a lot of pastors on podcasts. There's a sentiment out there that a church should ask this question of themselves, and this would be a gauge of health. We should ask ourselves, if Doolin's Grove disappeared, would the surrounding community weep because we have blessed them so deeply? Now, there is a grain of truth to that, but I don't think that's an accurate gauge of health. I think there, there should be many who do, many who have, are still in that zone where they just appreciate the fellowship we have and the generosity. But if we're being the church, there will be people who hate us. So that if we're truly being the church, if we were to be removed from existence, there would be people who would be so relieved They don't have to hear about Jesus all the time anymore. So I'm not saying we need to go try to make enemies of the people. But I'm also not saying that you should expect to have universal applause for being the church. I do think people should admit that there is something powerful going on among us. I think people should notice that. I think people should be able to tell that We really believe these things that we really are changing and growing and something really is happening here. I think that the people should recognize a quality of our fellowship that's different from anything they've ever seen before. I think they should see those who are Christians living above the the nervousness of finances because they're part of a fellowship of brothers and sisters who take care of each other. That should be noticeable. People should see that. Those good things should Those good things should evoke favor from the people. They should see the things we're doing generally and and like it. They should not always hear us out there backbiting and complaining about our brothers and sisters in Christ or our pastors and the things they always get wrong over and over again. They should hear our love for each other. Jesus said that's how they would recognize us, by the way we love one another. It should be evident. And I expect the world, the people to respond warmly to that. I do. 
But if we're being the church, it's not going to take long for people to see what's behind all this power and all this fellowship. It's not going to take long for people to see that it's Jesus Christ and that we really believe that he is the one way to salvation and that we really believe that if you are not in Christ, you're headed for damnation. There's nothing soft and cozy about that message. It is the spiritual and religious equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded building. There is no middle ground response to that. It's the equivalent of yelling bomb on a plane. There's no middle, middle ground there. You either believe this message and give yourself to finding the escape, give yourself to Jesus Christ, or you don't believe it and you hate the idiot who's yelling fire and bomb. When there, you don't believe there is a fire or bomb and you try to silence it. But there really is no intellectually honest way to be mild about this. The gospel is, is too controversial. Now do notice that it is the gospel, it is Jesus that causes all the controversy. It's not their morality. I think the people kind of like their morality. It's not their political stands. It's Jesus Christ. And if you think about it for a second, it's pretty insane if the most controversial aspect of the church is our stance on things like same-sex marriage and abortion. It makes sense that those things are controversial, but don't they pale in comparison to the message that we think you're going to hell if you don't follow Jesus Christ? It seems like that message would trump these other things. Okay, you think marriage should be between a man and a woman. I can see, you know, even just biologically how you'd come to that. We can talk about that. Okay, you think that at least maybe that's a baby in there, so we shouldn't kill it. I can at least see how you can get there. We can talk about that. But you think I'm going to hell just because I don't believe in Jesus Christ? You think that all the Buddhists, all the Hindus, all the Muslims, all the, the seemingly morally nice people who don't believe in Jesus Christ are going to hell? There's where the wedge starts to dig in. There's where people have to take sides. You either believe that or you don't. And it has to make a difference. It has to provoke a response. Christians believe that there is a holy, perfect God and that he created everything. And he created man and woman as good, as very good, but he gave them freedom of choice so that their worship would be meaningful. Adam and Eve chose badly, they sinned. When they sinned as the head of the covenant, it implicated all of us. And it just ruined everything. And it infected all of humanity thereafter with the disease of sin. Sin is all the stuff we do wrong, all the good stuff that we don't do. It's all our imperfections from the smallest white lie to the, to the worst crime against humanity. We're filthy with it. We're born that way. No one had to teach you as a child how to be selfish with your toys. No one had to teach you as a child how to lie to protect your own interests. These sins are innate in us. We're messed up. But God, he loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we failed to live and to die the death that we've earned with our sin. 
so that anybody that believes in him puts their weight on him to be forgiven from their sins and follows him as their Lord will be saved and will not be damned. This is the way, the one way. And Jesus said it's a narrow way and there are few who find it. That's what Christians believe. That's the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross, the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That whole thing I just said to you is just idiotic foolishness, is nonsense to those who are perishing. A whole giant segment of people. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Power or folly, one or the other. In 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and, 17, uh, 15 and 16, it says, For we Christians, the church, are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. We have, we have one message, the gospel. And everyone hears the same message, but it has two very different reactions. Some hear the gospel and it just makes them deader. Some hear the gospel and it makes them more alive. But people do respond to it. You have to. If we are being the church, people will notice If we're being the church, people will notice. We don't have to try to be noticeable. We just have to try to be the church. We don't need billboards. We don't need bumper stickers. Those things are fine, but that's not what we need to be noticed. We just need to be the church. And the power of God evident among us will be noticeable. And the fellowship that grows will be noticeable. But if we're being the church, the gospel will also be noticeable. And people will respond. They will either receive it or they'll reject it. But they will respond. So I need you to think about a couple of questions. Is there noticeable power and fellowship in your life because you're part of the church? Do the people around you even know you're part of the church? And I suspect that many of you, definitely the answer is yes. But I need you to think about it. If we're being the church, these things will be noticeable. Another question. Is it clear to the people who know you that you believe in and follow Jesus Christ? They may know that you're part of a church, but do they know that you really believe that Jesus is the one way and that you're following him as your Lord? Do they notice that? Do they see that? When people think of Doolin's Grove, do they think supernatural power of God among those people, rich, deep Christian fellowship, and bold belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that what is, that what is noticeable about us? If we're going to be the church, that's what's going to become noticeable. 
Some of you may be thinking right now, I do believe this stuff, but I don't want to be a weirdo who's always accosting people with Jesus all the time. Meredith was accosted in a parking lot by a woman who was trying to do a drive-by evangelism on her. She was getting in the car and a woman saw her from a great distance and I think started to like shout to you and then walked over to you and gave you a track and pretty abruptly turned away and went and hid in her car. That's not what I'm after. I'm not saying that you need to go and, and pelt people with Jesus so that you can fulfill you know, your obligation and, and get out from underneath the guilt trip that I'm laying on you right now. I want you to be who you are but I want you to really believe this stuff and let it start to take effect in you. Because if you really do believe that there's a fire in here and you really do care about the people in here, you're going to start to tell people and you're going to start to, to try to usher people toward the escape hatch. You're, if you really believe this stuff about Jesus and you really believe the people around you who don't believe in Jesus are cursed, are doomed. How bizarre it would be to not do anything about it, to not talk to them about it. You'll start looking at people differently. You'll start praying for people more. You'll start to love the people around you and and your love for them will begin to grow more evident. Hearing the gospel from someone who clearly loves you is way different from a stranger running by and throwing gospel tracts at you in a parking lot and then get in the car and peeling out. You'll start being more honest in conversation with people about what you believe. Some of us have had opportunities to tell people about what we believe about Jesus, but have shied away from it. It's amazing how you see more and more natural opportunities develop once you start to put your weight more and more on Christ. The opportunities come. It's way more natural than you might be thinking. You'll find that giving the gospel becomes increasingly natural as an outgrowth of who you are and how you see the world around you. So I'm not asking you to do anything weird or unnatural to you. I'm just asking you to remember Jesus, remember what you believe, and then act accordingly. And it's just going to happen. The church provokes a response. When we are being the church, people will notice and will eventually be pressed to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we can expect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and this example of the church being the church. But thank you more than anything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are not lost and alone in our sins, doomed to die. Or please help us to think clearly here. Help us to really believe what we believe to really follow who we follow may your power among us be evident to everyone around us may our fellowship be so rich and deep and sweet that the people around us cannot help but recognize it and want to be a part of it but help us to be so crystal clear on the gospel that those who would believe would believe And if it must be so that those who are perishing would have at least heard the truth. Lord, let us be the church in Jesus name. Amen.